I, I don't think that you, a company really necessarily should sit down and be like, all right, we're going to get data now. Let's prepare ourselves, right? It shouldn't be like that because it's almost like you're looking for the problem. Then. I think you need to figure out what you think one of your inefficiencies is and then figure out if the data can solve that. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software Great Tech Group. You're invited to join our conversation to model the future of construction innovation and the digital transformation adventure of this great industry. My guest today is John Summers. He's the Vice President, Construction and Utility Sector of the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. John is responsible for the strategic direction of construction and utility programs for services for AEM membership. He strives to help equipment manufacturers improve their businesses. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, welcome. Thanks, Todd. Um, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So how'd you get into this industry to begin with? So kind of, I went listen to a couple of your previous episodes and I always think everybody's entrance to the industry is fascinating. And a lot of times I talk to, you know, folks that are working at our members or contractors and, you know, I don't know if I want to say they were born into it, but, you know, they had some kind of tie to construction, right? You know, mm -hmm. maybe one of their, you know, parents did home remodels or something like that. Like I, that is not my story whatsoever. <laughs> right? So, so I, uh, I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin. So we were, you know, around some farms, but we lived, you know, in the city about 9,000 people or something like that. So it didn't have mm -hmm. a whole lot of exposure to, um, what kind of AM covers. And I'll, I'll get into that in a second, but whether that's agriculture or construction, um, came down to Milwaukee area for college, uh, actually have a computer science degree, uh, started with one company, you know, first job and jump ship from that about a year and a half, two years later and, and came to AEM in 20 or uh, sorry, 2007. So, uh, it actually is my, uh, 16 year anniversary at AEM in a couple days, wow. I think. So, um, yeah, but I started in our marketing area. So I was managing our websites. Um, so we owned some trade shows along with the AEM website. So, uh, managed uh the websites did a little online marketing you know back in the day um you know and kind of thought like hey this industry is super interesting and i i attended my first con expo con ag that am owns and, and produces um in 2008 and started meeting a few people and i was like this is really interesting and there's some really cool stuff going on in the construction industry and with the equipment that's happening um, so I thought, Hey, this is, this is kind of neat. Maybe I want to, you know, stay in this and kind of figure it out. Fast forward to 2013, late 13, early 14, uh, an AM opened a couple new roles, one on our agriculture side and one on our construction side. And I applied for the construction side and somehow got it <laughs> with no experience in the industry really whatsoever. Uh, but figured I could, you know, learn quickly and, and kind of jump in and with as quickly as technology is changing in this industry you know, we're all learning at the same time anyway. So yeah. just kind of, you know, did my own research and looked at everybody's website and figured out what all the equipment was. And, and here I am. So yeah, 16 years later, man, it's, it's been kind of a wild ride. And, you know, it's kind of a crazy thing to, I guess, sort of do a complete career pivot when you're like, I don't know how old I was, 30 at the time. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's it's luckily I got to stay with the same company and same industry and I'm still here, but it was kind of kind of wild going from from marketing to whatever I do now. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. So we have a very similar background in, in stores. My marketing's near and dear to 
my heart as well too. I, I like to say I was a happy accident coming into construction. <laughs> yeah. My whole background's in marketing, and then I stumbled into this. It was like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. It's pretty That's crazy, awesome. and it's the if anybody knows anything about associations, right? So AM we're a trade association for uh, equipment manufacturers, but there's an association for everything. You know, right? I mean, we're we're the the big ones for the equipment, um, but then there's little sub segments of that for each type of contractor. You know, ones focused on you know damage prevention of underground utilities. Like, there's all sorts of stuff. So once you get into the association world, it kind of just opens the doors to like so much different stuff, and like the breadth of what we cover is is pretty wild. So, um, yeah, happy accidents are good. I mean, I'm I'm glad to, I'm glad to still be in this industry. I've met a lot of a lot of good people, a lot of cool stuff going on, and we're in pretty revolutionary times with technology. It's, it's really fun. Yeah, for sure. So how do you think that we get more people kind of like us, the, the happy accidents into construction and, and make it, it not necessarily a happy accident, but a, a conscious choice of, yeah, let's yeah. go into construction. Yeah, that's the challenge, right? I mean, everybody talks about workforce and I think our industry, meaning, you know, heavy construction or, or even, you know, vertical in building, you know, trades and stuff like that. I mean, it, it's really tough to to get people to understand that they're good paying jobs. You know, there's the old um, thought of the, whether you're working in a manufacturing facility or, or on a job site, like the, the dirty, dark, dangerous, there's probably some more D's in there somewhere, right? You know, so it's, it's that. And you think about, you know, how these manufacturing facilities work today or look today, whether you're, you know, a welder, assembler, painter, running a CNC machine, whatever it is, all the way out to the job site. I mean, it's been a, many years, if ever, in my life that I've literally driven past the job site and seen somebody with a shovel in a ditch, right? I mean, you're running pretty sophisticated machines, um, you know, in the air-conditioned cab. It's been about mid-90s here for the last week, so that'd be nice right now in Wisconsin. Uh, you know, even warmer down south. I mean, it's 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 a pretty interesting, um, you know, role that you play and you're building or if you're in the agriculture side, you know, growing the food that, you know, our, our nation needs. So I mean, yeah. it's the, you know, improving the quality of life, whether that's building a road, installing fiber so people have internet in their home, whatever it is, it's, it's pretty crazy. So how we can get that message out, you know, so more people are drawn to this instead of, you know, on accident is, is, is always a challenge. I think that, you know, if we keep showing the technology that's used and talk about how they're, you know, good paying, secure jobs, providing value to your local community. I think that's got to be the message. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, what do you think are some of the, the latest advancements in construction technology that uh, have really started to come in and, and revolutionize the, the industry over the last few years? Yeah, so if you if we take a step back, so if we talk about association equipment manufacturers for a second, right? So we cover equipment manufacturers, um, whether that's a whole good, you know, drivable piece of equipment, um, portable, what we call like some of the handheld tools, um, all the components that go into them and then the customers, or I'm sorry, companies that provide a service to the industry. And we cover five industry sectors. So on one side is uh, the agriculture and forestry piece of it. And then I'm responsible for the construction, mining, and utility side of the association. Mm -hmm. Obviously, when you get into technology, where that's like engine technology or, you know, GPS guidance or equipment data and anything like that, like there's a big crossover, right? So that some of that technology is going to a tractor, same as a bulldozer, right? I mean, just doing a different end function. So, you know, if you think about, you know, if we focus just on the construction side of it, 
there's, you know, back to that workforce piece of it, we have a lot of inexperienced people coming in the industry. Thankfully, they're coming in, right? But they have no experience running a machine. So however you can, you know, provide them additional guidance on how to operate the machine, meaning like take a little bit of the control out of their hands, um, that, you know, just reaps benefits. So think about, you know, if you have a vehicle with lane keeping or lane centering technology, right? If you have a inexperienced driver, you might start to drift a little bit and they'll pull you back in. It's sort of kind of the same thing. So if you're, you know, running a machine and grading, like you might not know exactly, you know, what grade to put that at. So the guidance will kind of take that control out of your hands. So I think that, you know, the, that's, the technology has kind of been around for a while, but it's really getting um, more precise and easier to implement now. Uh, so that is one of the biggest advantages I think that I see that's something that's like in the marketplace ready to be used right now. And it's really making, you know, there's a saying of make a decent operator uh, or make a good operator great and make an inexperienced operator good, right? So yeah. any way you can level up those people, I think that's the, that's the thing that everybody needs to be taking advantage of. Yeah. And let's double click into that, but go through it from the, the safety vantage point of it. Uh, how is uh, equipment really helping to contribute to a safer work environment out on the job site? So I referenced the lane keeping in your automobile. So a lot of stuff we see hits on road first, right? So I think it's, you know, the controlled environment sort of, right? I mean, you're, you're in a lane, you know, kind of what's going on. So if we watch what's happening there and a lot of those things that are making driving safer, uh, a lot of that is hitting or is coming to, to off-road equipment. So, um, you know, whether it's brake assist, proximity detection, um, or object detection, you know, wherever you are. Uh, if you looked at, you know, some of the technology that was released at ConExpo ConAg this past March, there was numerous pieces of whether it's camera system, um, radar, LIDAR sensors, you know, applying a brake so you don't hit, whether that's a person behind you, another piece of equipment, you know, uh, some structure, maybe it's a material that somebody laid in the site that you don't see there. I think that safety piece of it, again, when you're taking that control, you know, out of the operator's hands, um, not fully, um, but kind of just assisting them with something that they might not see. I think that's really where that safety piece is really going to hit, you know, in the next couple of years. There's also, um, you know, just the piece of it of just, awareness of everything that's going on you think about your cab and how they used to be in your visibility and i mentioned the camera systems uh you know that is a lot of a lot of a lot more focus has been put on operator i think we kind of usually call it operator comfort but it's more than that right it's it's your line of sight it's your visibility of everything uh whether that's just you know there's not a pillar here anymore because the cab has been redesigned or if it is through like a camera system like that yeah, interesting. I'm curious with you know AI kind of coming into the uh, equation and helping to take over. <laughs> uh, how have people been relating to the uh, equipment or responding to it? Are they you know excited about the the technological advancements, or, or is there some kind of unease of hey, well this if we go here and kind of automate this function, what where does that leave me? How right? Of course, there? there's that. Right. I mean, of course, of course, people are thinking, you know, oh, the robots are coming for my jobs and everything. Yeah. everybody always kind of talks about it. Go back to our first conversation. No, there's not enough people. Right. And if there is people, they're they're inexperienced people. So, you know, my view, you know, if you get into AI and you take this all the way to their level, I think we're probably talking about 
a fully autonomous job site, right? There's debate. You can debate all day long whether we'll ever see that in our lifetime or not. But there's what are those steps, like those moments of autonomy or moments of automation on the way there, right? Mm -hmm. So if that is, hey, I do have somebody that's, you know, running this excavator and they're digging a hole and they're dumping in this haul truck. Well, maybe there doesn't need to be a driver in that haul truck because it's doing a repeated path, right? It's going, it's getting waiting, getting filled up, driving over here, dumping, driving back. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what pieces can we automate of a job site that'll still um, allow the human interaction and people to be in machines. And then those other people that may be reluctant to come into this industry because they, you know, are a little bit more, you know, whether it's advanced in their career or they're coming from a, you know, technology company, it's like, what jobs does that then open up? Right. So there still has to be maintenance done to everything. There still has to be somebody essentially programming the path of that whole truck. So, I mean, it's just different jobs. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you, you throw AI into that and you think about the mundane tasks that people don't want to do anyway, or the things that would be really hard to do um, precise. So one of the stories that I remember hearing a couple of years ago was uh, there was a contractor putting uh, piles in a solar farm that the panels would then mount on, right? And those needed to be spaced however many feet apart it is. And essentially, that was somebody getting in a skid steer, driving it forward to the exact spot, getting out, taking a panel off, putting it on a thing. And why wouldn't that be automated? Why wouldn't that thing just move forward, let somebody take a panel off of it, move the exact X number of feet forward again? It's like it's less wear and tear on your body. You know, there's, you're not climbing on a cab the whole time. That then gets into safety. I mean, the egress and getting in and out of everything. I mean, you can fall getting out of your car, right? I mean, it's just any of that you know, less movement, you know, and having it be more precise is, is just better for everybody. So I think we'll see a lot of automated features as we kind of call them, you know, start hitting the job site more and more over the next few years. Yeah. What do you think? Let's go out kind of 10 years time, look in your, your crystal ball. What is the, what does the job site look like? How, how automated do you think everything's going to be? It's tough, man. Cause it's, it's, you look at where, Autonomy is really hitting the off-road equipment market now, and it's mining and in some instances, agriculture. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's because those are controlled environments, right? So you're at a mine, you're not near any people. There's no random pedestrian on a bicycle that's going to drive in front of the truck that it has to react to, right? So, you know, at a farm, it's, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, you may just be right off a road, but you're in a multi thousand acre field. Um, and it's a pretty controlled environment. There aren't just people wandering around. So we'll continue to see that advance. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of that going on. Even in um, construction, some sites, I mean, if you're operating, I live in Milwaukee area, uh, hence the Brewers logo here behind me. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, if you're working on something downtown, I mean, that's just a tough thing to automate because it's probably you know, not a repeatable task. It's not really a necessarily controlled environment. You may be able to automate some of that. But if we go, you know, like you said, 10 years out, whatever it is, I think we'll, we'll be having a lot of, say, a new subdivision or something like that. I, there, there's a chance that that whole road could be put in with pretty much a couple people monitoring what's going on. Hmm. I think there's also the thought of... um in on highway, they call it platooning, right? So there's a driver in the first vehicle and the second car just follows it and follows it like that. Mm -hmm. There's, there's some thought of that happening as well, right? So if you're, say you're, um, 
you know, digging a trench and laying up, you know, whether it's underground um, conduit for fiber or electric like that, there could be somebody operating a trencher. And then however that's being laid could just basically follow that and keep the safe distance and lay that conduit. So I think there's pieces of it that we'll see automated. I mean, I, me personally, especially with how different construction job sites are, I think we'd have a tough time seeing anything be fully automated. Hey, innovators. Do you want to help inspire the next generation of architects, engineers, and builders? Applied Software Great Tech Group does too. In fact, they have launched a scholarship contest and need your help spreading the word. If you know any students or teachers who could benefit from the contest, tell them to visit asti.com slash AEC scholarship for more information. Applied Great Tech is giving away over $1,000 to help students pursue their dreams. And we need your help to make it happen. So what are you waiting for? Let's make a difference together. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Where do you think that the prefab portion of it comes in? Because then in that environment, you could automate uh, a whole lot more, you know, because it is in that controlled environment. So it puts you more in the the ag and, and, and mining kind of environment. But where do you see prefab fitting in? So I think, you know, if we're talking prefab, um, a building, or I know there's been some work done in, you know, I think it was like a hotel in New York or something like that, right? Yeah. I, I think that the less the, the less amount of material you can bring to a job site and assemble on site uh the better you know for for most instances there was a, actually i was listening to another podcast a while ago and i i can't remember who it was now um it should be excellent give them credit for this but they said <laughs> you know when you when you buy a car you know you you if if you're getting it delivered to you like it shows up all in one piece like the assembly is done somewhere else they don't come lay all the parts all over your front yard and then put it together at your, at your, in your driveway. Right. I mean, it just seems kind of backwards when you think about, you know, building, whether it's a commercial building and all the parts are all just laid around. Um, because then there's also the time spent, or you could even say wasted, you know, finding, you know, the next pile of studs or where's oh, sure. the, you know, where's the trust for this. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Or you're just grabbing the telehandler and moving them around seven times before you actually right. them because they're in your way all the time. Right. <laughs> so I think that, you know, if we can, you know, essentially turn parts of the construction process into more of a style of a factory and, and do things off site, you may be able to automate more stuff on site. Right. So I think there'd be some different equipment used, but I just mentioned, you know, using a telehandler just to move your material around to get out of your way. Well, now if it comes and it's finished, you may be able to say like, you know, hey, telehandler, program it, you know, go grab that, you know, trust and bring it over here and let these guys put it up and then grab the next one. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think automation becomes easier when the product is finished as well. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff we talk about isn't necessarily um vertical construction or building building right it's more heavy highway um utility infrastructure whether that's underground or overhead so um you gotta think about what pieces of that are repeatable and you could automate so if you i mentioned the you know a trencher and following it with conduit behind it i mean same could be said for you putting utility poles in the ground i mean they're spaced out however many so feet that is and if you have a truck there that goes up and 
need to dig a hole to put the pole in that. Like, it's like, sure, let's figure out how to do that and, you know, take that job um, and automate that job. So it's, so it's more precise and easier to, easier to um, plan around. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. Is there a way that people should be thinking about these advancements and the efficiency that it brings and the, the productivity that it brings to a construction job site? Is there a way that they should be thinking about that, that maybe they're, is not necessarily on their radar right now? So I think, yes, to answer that question, easy, yes. So I think when people think about a new technology or even a new product as a consumer, right, you're thinking, hey, I, I want this because it's going to do this for me. Mm -hmm. You don't really ever take that to the next step and think about all the other stuff that it's going to have an impact, like trickle down the line, right? Mm -hmm. So you think about, um, you know, we released that um, uh, benefits of construction equipment technology um, and their impact on society study uh, a couple months ago or something like that. Yeah. Early May. And we tried to highlight that there isn't just one advantage for each of these technologies that's available. So like if you take telematics, so machine data that you can monitor remotely, right? A lot of contractors are using that for one thing. The, th the thing might be different. It might be, Hey, I just want to know how many hours are on my machine. So I know when to do maintenance. I know when I'm at, you know, 480 hours, I should probably get some new filters ready because I got to do a 500 hour maintenance, right? Or they're looking at their idle time and saying, hey, we're burning through fuel. Um, we don't need to keep these machines on when they're not actually being productive, right? And they're focusing on one of those things, which is awesome because if you kind of grab all the data and grab everything at once, it's just fire hose and you get overwhelmed, you give up, right? So it's like, pick that one thing, but don't stop at that one thing. It's like, all right, Cool. Now we know hours on our equipment and we can plan our maintenance schedule. Now what's next? Now we might be able to say like, hey, we're monitoring, you know, the um, speed that these wheel loaders are driven and maybe it's too fast. Maybe it's too slow. Maybe they're cornering too hard. We can train our operators to be better. Then what's next after that? Right. So I think there's all of these different things that you got to look at. Mm -hmm. We kind of started this conversation by talking about machine control and automating, you know, grading and stuff like that. Right. And, and talking about making a inexperienced operator much better. But then you think about, well, what else does that impact? Well, if I do it right the first time based on a 3d digital model, I don't have to go back and redo it. So now I'm saving on material. I'm saving on time. I'm not paying somebody overtime to fix it because now they're going to come pave soon. Right. You know, it's all of these other I don't even want to call them like secondary benefits because they're all primary, right? It's just kind yeah. of like, what thing are you, are you really worried about? So I think that that goes for a lot of this technology. And I think once people understand that it, you know, if somebody's selling it to you, they're going to talk about, they're going to figure out what your pain point is and say, this will solve that. Right. And that's, that's good. But like, if you think about all the other things that it could also impact and, and provide value to you, I think that's when you really just reap the rewards of it. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, when you bring in the, the data portion of it, I think that's a real hurdle in construction right now is that there's there's so much data coming from so many different yeah. places, from the equipment, from the software, from, you know, it, every single technology can re report and, and track so much data. But taking the time to think through what do I really want to get out of this data and how do I want to use it and gain insights from it? 
that's not done very often. And the consequence of that is you're not really going to look at the data or you're just looking at that one feature and good, but there are so many more uh, advantages that you could glean from it. How do people get prepared to handle the data that's coming in from equipment? So I think if you even before we get to that, let's, let's think back to, you know, construction technology, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe not even that long, right? I feel like there was a lot of solutions hitting the market that were looking for a problem, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, hey, I'm a yeah. software developer. I made this thing that you can now import, you know, you know, the, whatever data it is and like, who needs this, right? And I feel like that just shifted maybe 10 years ago. And a lot of these startups and technology started coming from within the industry, right? Mm -hmm. It was like contractors or project owners that were looking at their job site and being like, this is actually how we do this. Maybe it was like younger people coming out of college and showing up and being like, no way. Like, this is not really how this works, right? So yeah. then they started developing some of these solutions. So that kind of leads into the reverse of that, right? To, to answer your question is, you know, how do you get prepared for it? I, I don't think that you, a company really necessarily should sit down and be like, all right, we're going to get data now. Let's prepare ourselves, right? It shouldn't be like that because it's almost like you're looking for the problem then. Mm -hmm. I think you need to figure out what you think one of your inefficiencies is and then figure out if the data can solve that and then where to go next from that, right? So I, I mentioned, you know, idle time of equipment. I think this became <laughs> way more of a, of a pain point for people when diesel hit whatever it peaked at in like 2021, because it, it wasn't just, you know, hey, we're, we're, we're wasting some fuel. Now we're wasting bottom line dollars. Yeah. And you're burning through hours of machine, which then means you have to do your maintenance more often or, you know, sooner in the future, right? So I think people all of a sudden, you know, were thinking, you know, diesel's at whatever it was. Uh, and they were like, wow, we're spending a lot more on fuel. How do we stop spending so much on fuel? Oh, hey, guess what? You know, you can monitor idle time or total run hours of a machine through telematics data. Let's look at that and let's figure out how we can reduce that because then that just reduces fuel, which saves us money, right? So I think it's like you got to figure out that problem instead of just saying like, hey, we're going to get data. Let's let's sit down and figure out how we can do this. Um, I think it's different. You know, once you do that, I think it's different for everybody, though. Uh, you know, I know some contractors have essentially a war room where they have people sitting in there monitoring stuff. I know, you know. A lot of the fleet managers kind of have their teams doing it, whether it's, you know, in the job site trailer or remotely or whatever it is. It's, it's different and it's different for every job site, I think, and every contractor setup. Um, but I, 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 again, I think it goes back to what are you trying to solve? What's the problem? And then how do you just set yourself up for success? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think uh, approaching it with the, the question first aspect of it of uh you know here's pain xyz how do we get better at this and go look at the data that way that's the the right way to do it if, if not if you start with the data and then start to say what are the questions that are coming out of this data that's a very dangerous slippery slope to just read yeah. whatever you want into yeah. the data and confirm all your your pre-assumptions that, that you had coming in so that's a that's a dangerous yeah. Yeah, place yeah. to be <laughs> You probably start focusing on stuff that doesn't matter, right? Because some of the right. trends that you'll notice right away, 
um, are probably pretty obvious to, to spot, but then what is that doing for you? Right. I mean, it, it, it might not be solving anything that's a problem, or it might be such a minor thing that you just spent all that time on it to just, you know, whatever, save yourself a couple bucks. doesn't make sense. Right. It's like right. focus on, you know, where you're, where you're struggling. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how do we better educate kind of the, the key stakeholders on the benefits of the you know, construction equipment and the technologies that are associated with it and their significant impacts? So, yeah, I think that, you know, that's adoption of technology is, is a struggle. And I, and I, there's probably many reasons for that. Um, you know, a lot of the construction industry is kind of interesting because a lot of times, you know, lower bid wins, um, and you know, the margins are really thin. So investing in something, um, is tough. It's, it's, it's kind of tough to swallow that, right? If you have a, you know, you want to implement a machine control system on this motor grader and it's, I don't know, say six digit you know, cost, it's like, how am I going to recoup that? When am I going to recoup that? I don't have that much cash flow to just do it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that really gets into the project owner and some people that are, you know, funding the projects to really understand that. Um, their thing with construction is, is, you know, you always hear about the change orders and, oh, costs went up and now am I eating this or am I coming back and telling the, the, the customer that cost went up and, if we could get to a point where, um, I don't want to say guaranteed, but almost, right? I mean, it's like, hey, I've dug a hole for, you know, this size um, house before. You know, I had to move this much dirt. The next time I do it, it should be exactly the same. And that should, I should know exactly what my cost is, right? So I think if you think about investing in the technology and implementing it now, when's your payoff time? And then educating potentially the person funding the project um, that, hey, I'm going to charge you more, but I'm going to be accurate. I'm going to know all this. We're not going to have downtime on our equipment because we're monitoring, you know, diagnostic codes and hours of operation. So there's not going to be a time where the job site goes down. So we're not going to get delayed. I mean, you can't guarantee that stuff because um, things happen, right? But you could come close. And then I think for the project owner then to be like, all right, so we're going to pay you more, but the management of the project and the technology used, we're not going to get these surprise pop-up things and saying like, you know, oops, off-ramp on the highway was not graded correctly. Got to do it again. This is going to take another week and then you're behind, right? So mm -hmm. I think for all stakeholders and whatever those are from, you know, architect, you know, project funder all the way down through contractor through operator for them to really understand the benefit of everything. And don't think about the cost or maybe the learning curve or anything like that right now, look further out in the future and be like, Hey, so when this project's done, you know, we're going to look back on this and say that went way easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, those questions are around kind of getting at those uh, guarantees that you were talking about. Those are great questions yeah. to approach the, the data with pairing it back to that, that last conversation of here's, uh, you know, what we're trying to accomplish and solve and let's go see what we've done on our average of past uh, job sites of, of what the data is telling us there. That gets you pretty close to uh, that, that guarantee. Yeah. It's, it's another one of those things since no two construction projects are the same, right? So it's going to be hard to, you know, you're kind of comparing 
you know, apples to bourbon, right? So it's a little <laughs> bit different here, but, um, but you, you, you know, if you're thinking if I'm moving however many cubic feet of dirt, right? It's like, it should be relatively close. You're going to run into get a good different average, ground though. condition, get a good average. Yeah. So I think, you know, monitoring that and, and it'll take a lot of data to do that. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. you can't be like, it's the average of these two jobs I did. Right. right? You know, so it's, so it's, that's not really an average. Um, but yeah, it's, it's gotta be like more than that. But I think, you know, a lot of the OEMs are, you know, now providing some services to kind of help their customers, you know, get the data in the right I don't want to say format, but like, you know, get the right data so they can understand their true cost and, you know, kind of what actually went on on the job site so they mm -hmm. can, you know, keep that. And then when they do it again, you know, keep piling that on and then you kind of build your, um, I don't know, I don't know what it is, like a knowledge base of everything you did almost, right? And then you can right. really start figuring out cost. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of one of our, our core themes on the podcast is all around innovation. What does innovation mean to you? Cool. Innovation is interesting. Um, I think it's an interesting thing and, you know, kind of throw the word technology, right? Quote unquote in there too. And, 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 you know, hundred years ago, a ballpoint pen was new technology, right? So I think it's just innovation to me is something that provides um, value to the end user, right? So I think it could be, you could be innovating um, on a job. You could be innovating, you know, using an innovation that an equipment manufacturer put in the piece of equipment. You could be innovating just your workflow, right? And I think it's anything that, you know, hits that bottom line and provides value to the person that needs it the most, mm -hmm. right? So I think there's a lot of, a lot of innovation going on and a lot of it means or i guess matters different to different people so i mean one of the things we kind of didn't really touch on here is obviously the again follow on road right you look at tesla and a lot of i mean all their vehicles are battery electric right so electric call it even alternative power whether it's battery electric hydrogen um alternative renewable fuels are being you know started to be used on the on the in construction equipment but it's like, who's that providing value to, right? So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting innovation, but it's, if, if you're, you know, working in a building in downtown Chicago, you can't be running a diesel machine, right? So, hey, a, a electric mini excavator sounds great, right? You know, or you think about the cost of maintenance, if it has less moving parts and less stuff like that, like that might make sense. But to those people where, you know, you're fine in a remote area, you know, still running, you know, a diesel machine, like that's, that innovation doesn't really matter. So to them, it's not an innovation. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think pairing the innovation with values is uh, a, a good partnership for sure. Uh, well, how do people find out more information and, and connect with you? Yeah. So um, we'll talk about AEM first. So AEM.org uh, is, is our website. I mentioned, uh, you know, we cover manufacturers and component suppliers of the off-road industry. And we own and run Conexpo Con Egg. Uh, we also own another uh, trade show in Louisville, Kentucky called the Utility Expo coming up at the end of September. Um, but all of that information is on uh, aem.org. Um, me, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, John Summers. Um, otherwise, uh, yeah, happy to, happy to reach out and or reach out to me and happy to help anybody with any questions. 
Awesome. Well, final question for you. If I could give you all construction power, you could snap your fingers and innovate one thing in the industry. What would you pick to innovate? So I mentioned I listened to a couple other episodes, so I knew this was coming. Right? So I, uh, <laughs> as of as of three hours ago, I knew this was coming. Um, <laughs> I I really think that I kind of answered this already, and I think this would have such a significant impact on people who are already in the industry and then people who are thinking about getting in, right? And I think it's to really understand all of the impacts that innovations or technology have, right? So sustainability is obviously a hot word topic right now, right? So you think about even these construction contractors that are thinking, "Uh oh, we need to do something and show our sustainability initiatives, right? You probably already are. Right. I mean, if they're if they're monitoring their idle time and if they've reduced that over the last few years, guess what? You're burning less fuel. You have less carbon output there. You're doing something sustainably. I mean, it's not that simple. Right. I mean, you probably got to put some metrics behind it. But I think it's like to think about these technologies and be like, what things am I not thinking about? Maybe they don't apply to my role. Right. But what else are they having an impact on? Um, You know, you think that. I mentioned the grade control and not doing rework. You're not burning fuel. You're probably using less material. It's having all of these other impacts um, that people aren't necessarily thinking about. So I think the 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 magic magic potion would be to give everybody and be like, you know, if somebody tells you a technology and it does this, don't just think about that. Like I wish everybody could see all of the you know, ancillary benefits that it could provide and, and understand that it'll be worth the investment, worth the time to implement it. Yeah, that's a good one. I think so often people jump to, you know, the, the grandiose one big, huge revolutionary change when really in reality, even those big revolutionary changes are 1% improvements just stacked on top of each other. And you're just seeing that final step and right. you're not looking at all the steps along the way. So, yeah, I think some sort of glasses or something that you can see all those 1% yeah, yeah. improvements. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> you think about that with, even as a consumer though, right? I mean, you think about, I just watched the movie Blackberry uh, the other day. If you haven't seen that, it's about the story about Research in Motion, a company that made the Blackberry and how they went to whatever it was, 50% of the cell phone market and then yeah, went crashed. and died pretty much. <laughs> yeah, right. But at that point, there was a line in that movie saying, it is not a phone that does email, right? It is your email and everything like that that also happens to be a phone, right? So uh-huh. it's like the other, the thing you're thinking about is like, when you got an iPhone, you were like, hey, this is cool. You know, I have email on it. Well, you also have your calendar. Now look at all the other stuff you can do with it. And you think about, you know, if you take an Uber from my house to, to downtown, guess what? I don't have to drive home. I also don't have to pay for parking. I also don't have to drive around circles and look for parking, right? So it's all of those additional yeah. benefits that you get. So it, yeah, I wish, wish we had those glasses, man. When you, when you figure out how to make those. <laughs> I like them. I like them. You can make a lot of money on those. <laughs> That's right. That's awesome. Well, John, thanks so much for taking the time and, and joining the show today. Yeah, Todd, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take, what value can you provide? That is a great question. And pairing it with innovation, as John did, makes so much sense. I encourage everyone to stop and answer that question in the context of your work and think through technology and equipment in that framework as well. Second take, when thinking through data, 
Approach the data with the questions you have for improvement first, instead of the other way around. And final take, find your proverbial 1% glasses in order to see all the small advantages and innovations that can be leveraged in any new technology, process, and equipment. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software, Great Tech Group, at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining the conversation to model the future on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an Applied Software Great Tech Group production. Copyright Applied Software Great Tech Group 2023.